So hi everyone, welcome back to What the F is the Metaverse. Uh, we've been on a fairly long hiatus uh, since our last recording. And uh, I'm Brett Leonard, uh, film director, and I've made some films about virtual reality like The Lawnmower Man and Virtuosity, which kind of introduced some of the concepts of virtual reality to popular culture. Uh, I'm here with my son, Shannon Leonard. We're back after a few months. A lot has happened. And um, you a know, lot has happened. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, and a great time to do a end of the year of 2022 check in podcast. Obviously, when we started this podcast uh, about a year ago, um, you know, there was this hype around the idea of the metaverse that came about because of Mark Zuckerberg's announcements and the changing of Facebook to Meta Corporation. And there was a tremendous amount of hype around what was going on. Now, since then, we've had a bit of a backlash on that. We've had a retrenchment. We've had a retrenchment in the whole Web3 fintech world around, uh, you know, NFTs, of course, and completely a crash of the crypto world. <laughs> so I mean, we're talking the oh, second largest crypto exchange collapse since we did our last podcast. The FTX uh, debacle, which is bigger than the Bernie Madoff debacle by many, uh, many factors. And so it's a time of a lot of dynamism in this area, a lot of changes. And the question comes, kind of comes out of that is what, what, the F is the metaverse again. What is it real? Is there something that's substantial that's there? Is it something that is just a fad that's already gone? I mean, I think these are some of the things we should discuss. Well, now the new one is AI. Everyone's talking about AI. Uh, you know, Web three has been replaced with AI as the as the new buzzword. The metaverse is not cool anymore. You know, the meta stock price has crashed sixty percent over the last year. And we and we did podcasts where we talked about the yes uh, the, the stock price going down. We were talking about the cryptocurrency market starting to crash, but since then it's only crashed even more. I mean now it's true with the second largest crypto exchange collapsing after one of the founders mismanaged or stole, depending on who you ask, yeah, it was ten a billion it was, dollars it was of a customer Ponzi funds. Scheme. It was a Ponzi scheme. And it was nothing to do with the actual core technology of Web3. No, we have to be aware that, you know, the blockchain technology is a very real thing and is here to stay. Uh, the idea of how blockchains works, all of that, which is the foundation of fintech, is different than the execution of fintech cryptocurrencies, NFTs, etc. So there's a whole confusion around what is, you know, the differentiation between those aspects of things. Important for people to look into it deeply enough to see that the core technologies are continuing to grow and evolve. The whole idea of the quote-unquote metaverse, you know, even the fintech aspects, which is only one small part of what the metaverse is about, are still going to be evolving, still going to be um, creating new uh, definitions of value, new ways of, of, of people uh, creating reward systems, etc. It's just that a lot of the hype was around things that were very, very uh, iffy in terms of the solidity of what they were actually quote unquote selling. And of course with human beings, whenever there's a new system of something, they're gonna jump in and there's gonna be a lot of people that use it for nefarious reasons. And there's been a lot of quick, you know, get rich quick schemes. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, misnomers around that. and. And, you know, even the guy that was the head of FTX, I mean, he was looked at as this kind of icon of the positive use of wealth and all of that. And yet then he becomes the biggest Bernie Madoff figure in history. Uh, so, I mean, so. I knew something was weird when, when just in general in the cryptocurrency market, when 
Bitcoin was at sixty thousand dollars. The the crazy run up that happened, it was clearly a, a bubble. And I'm someone who has understood and believed in the technology for for you know way back since 2012, 2011. Um, and I was did not invest in the latest bubble at all. FTX came out during this bubble. It didn't even exist before that. So it was a very new exchange that came out. Uh, I just listened to a, one of our podcasts from March of this year, and we actually had a similar conversation, and we were talking about this, and we, we said, listen, the, the technology of, of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, there's, there's an interesting future there, but be careful for the frauds. We both said that. We literally said, yeah. be careful for the frauds. Yeah. And that really has played out this year and also played into the narrative of what the metaverse is, because I think a lot of people, the metaverse became synonymous with Web3 and, yes. and, and, and it was not only was cryptocurrency crashing during the last year, but Facebook slash meta is the laughing stock of the industry. They launched their a new piece of hardware since we did our last podcast. It's called the Quest Pro. And yep. the, the yep. reviewer said it's it's a great piece of hardware. Uh, but the software experience is terrible. Um, yes. <laughs> and and when they say great piece of hardware, there's still a lot of things that could be better. But, you know, it's their, their hardware is okay, which is interesting because they're kind of a software company. You'd think they'd be able to nail it. But so there's been a lot of skepticism around uh, Mark Zuckerberg's whole vision. And a lot of investors, big vet investors in Facebook and Meta have basically asked him, like, hey, you got to stop investing in this. And they laid off. They had they laid off over eleven thousand people. Uh, you know, obviously the, the entire stock market and the tech sector specifically has been hit really hard. So that was probably a response to that. So it's interesting. Yes. It's interesting to seeing you know a lot of the themes that we were touching on at the beginning of this year actually playing out. How yeah, cryptocurrency they, they now the, the frauds are being seen for what they are should be something that actually has a use case. For example, there are tokens out there that enable compute power tapping into the compute power of computers around the world that's a, a real use case or tapping into uh you know decentralized file storage and of course there's issues with this but th those are interesting use cases that are real um and those are still the pushing moving forward despite almost everyone kind of leaving the system i've seen a lot of people talking you know who were used to be proponents of crypto now being very skeptical it's interesting to see how fast that happens. Yeah, look, I, I think, and to give some perspective on this, though, you know, it, every new system in the history of humankind always has a period of ups and downs, hype and and crashing. I mean, all of the, I mean, the stock market itself, uh, from the very beginning, has been that, and we think of that as a very solid thing. When it's really not that much more solid than anything else that comes along, even crypto. I mean, it's just the 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 idea of the um, the amount of quick rich uh, get rich schemes that happen with in the context of crypto were so extreme. And whenever that's the case, there's always going to be a crash. That's just the that's that's human nature. Yeah. And it's also the historically what you can see patterns of. So it's to not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's to look at there's some real value in the technology and what people are trying to do with it, uh, you know, creating true utility, creating true value. There's even, I think, value in looking at how to create new forms of value within the context of the quote-unquote metaverse. But it can't be something that, and that means I'm going to be a billionaire in, you know, in, in one month. I mean, <laughs> that's sort of what happened, you know, around some of the, uh, around the crypto thing, around the NFT craze. It became something that wasn't based on any true value. 
And for me, what's exciting is the fact that now the wheat is being separated from the chaff and we're seeing where true value is being created as opposed to just the hype value. Well, yeah, like 98% weren't based on true value. And I think yes. I think a lot of people get, it's easy to say, oh, then therefore it's all a scam. It's all a fraud. It's all going to zero. But when you think, oh, well, this is the same in the dot-com bubble, there were only a few companies that got out that survived the dot-com bubble. This is a similar thing. There's only going to be a few crypto projects that are actually doing real things. And all the exactly. other ones are probably going to go to zero exactly. uh, with time. And, you know, it's going to have to really prove themselves out, especially in the next few years. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, because I, I have some of my own projects and activity in this area, which I'm trying to connect it to core value of things like actual stories, actual creating of characters and environments that that have real depth to them, that have community involvement in the depth of story, character, and emotion. Um, that's on the entertainment side. And then on the sort of, you know, these other sides I've been connected with, which is utilizing virtual experience, virtual behavioral therapy for healthcare. Um, yeah. I have a company now called Ubiquity VX, which is about delivering virtual healthcare in as easy and simple and, and accessible way as possible. Because one of the big problems with all of this, it's been too complicated. It's too complicated to create, go into a metaverse world, to actually do things that have value and have, have, have you, you, real utility. And so to make those things simpler and to actually create value in that, that's one of the things I think is going to happen more and more and more. Um, you know, uh, apart from yeah. the kind of things I'm focused on, many, many people are starting to pivot to these, just seeing, well, well, how do we actually use these new systems, these new sort of ideas of value, these ideas of reward and loss? How do we, how we create something around that, that actually works with the more positive aspects of human nature and gives us something that moves, you know, moves the world forward as opposed to just another scam? Well, it's interesting, you know, just earlier this year, it was very much oh, this is the, the future, this is the most exciting, specifically the metaverse, was, is yes. the future. That's, you know, we started this podcast in the height of the metaverse mania yes. uh, and leading up through it. And now it's almost this, a bad word in, in the tech space right now. No one wants to say metaverse. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is, you know, kind of quietly building it still, but, you know, laying off huge amounts of his teams, cutting costs where he can, trying mm -hmm. to survive the next few years. Um, and pairing back on a lot of different projects, you know, that, that, he, that he was, he put out there as the future of the company. And so there's a lot of skepticism now around this. And it's interesting for me to see, it's almost like a little bit of whiplash because, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, I, I, and I, and I think actually the word metaverse has been overused. It's, it's been I pretty agree. much killed. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is probably going to try to keep it alive, but it'll be interesting to see when other companies start jumping into the space, specifically Apple. You know, Apple is the big, and you know, we've talked about it frequently on this podcast, but that, that's the big mover in the space. The next shoe to drop is when Apple creates a metaverse product yes. and, and they're not going to call it the metaverse. No, no. way. I mean, they're, they're going to call it their own thing. The, net, the latest name that's come out is uh, XR OS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're going with that. They're also, the, the reality OS was the, was the first one that was rumored they're going to call mm -hmm. it. But now they might be have two different platforms, a Mac-based platform and a mobile-based platform that are both augmented mixed reality platforms. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, so this is all, in the next few years, this is going to happen. And then 
Meta slash Facebook might seem kind of smart in a way because they were a first mover. They're at least developing oh, the yeah. technology. Uh, look, I, I don't I, know. I, it's going to see how that plays out. I don't think. I don't think that what Mark Zuckerberg is doing has not been something that has been. It's almost important for someone to jump in and spend billions of dollars to start anything at the level of foundational, you know, awareness and the level of foundational shift and change that this that this thing is, um, whether you call it the metaverse. For me, it's all virtual experience. That's why I, that's the term I use because it's all about us experiencing something virtually in a, in a virtual space. Uh, you know, obviously virtual reality was a term for many, many years. There's augmented reality, mixed reality, all the realities. That's for me is all virtual experience. And so there's ways of creating virtual experience that can have true utility, true practicality, true actual positive use cases, uh, both in the area, again, of healthcare and training and, and many, many other areas. Let's, let's put entertainment aside for a second. It's almost like for me, I think the, uh, the adoption of, of new entertainment forms is almost going to be this, the, the last thing that happens in the context of the use of virtual experience. Because these other things have real, you know, real use case that, that affects a human need. That, that is something people want, that people want to feel better. People want to have behavioral therapy that's, you know, that, that is supercharged by use of virtual reality, like uh, the way in which PTSD, behavioral therapy, and virtual reality has been very successful. There's just a lot of, of things that I think are going to shake out in this new period, and I think it's very positive. I mean, I think, you know, people like myself and Neil Stevenson, who actually coined the term the metaverse, uh, you know, who well, we've been in it for, you know, 30 years or so are, are giggling right now because it's, <laughs> we've seen all these terms come and go. And, and, and yet there's a constant progress that is happening in the overall nature of how will people in this new quote unquote digital world that we are creating going to interact with each other. Meta's betting with the Quest Pro, that there's going to be a market for more than just entertainment, that there's going to be this market for office use cases, for medical yes. use cases, for enterprise, other types of enterprise yeah, use yeah, cases. Yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. which which is interesting. And, and you know, my perspective on that is, I don't know, I, I think Apple is going to go into a more uh, consumer focus, into actually a more, and they're going to bridge the gap a little. I think Apple's going to try to go into the entertainment route a little bit more. I mean, that was the success of the Quest 2. You know, that is the most successful virtual reality headset ever the quest 2 and that was very much gaming focused fitness yes. focused yeah. so i think both markets are going to emerge and i think we're in a, a time now where everyone's like okay actually this has to make money <laughs> and so right. when you're trying to exactly. make money you need to go to the business use cases and yes. you know yes. the, the, the the build those first but it'll be interesting to see that you know apple i think is going to go for the entertainment use case first maybe they'll come up with with something that's for enterprise as well of course apple is you know such a consumer device oriented company they're the apple you know virtual glasses however you want to call them or the reality glasses or however they're going to be termed you know it's going to be interesting to see how they position those because the you know the cost point is going to be like the cost point of the of the quest uh, pro is is fairly high um and and so initially i think a lot of b2b business oriented uh models are going to have to prove themselves out and i think that that's one of the areas that 
is going to be the shakeout of what's coming, you know, with this whole idea of the metaverse. And put aside the whole fintech, NFT, crypto side of it. Just just getting the idea of a metaverse world, if we're still going to call it that at all, that actually works for something, that actually has true utility, that actually makes people go, I need that in my life. And that has never fully happened, except for many, many, you know, early adopters that just get into it because of how cool it is, because there is a coolness of going into a virtual experience. I mean, that's, that's many, many people experience that even if they never go back and do it again. <laughs> so it's, it's really well, about how do we... There's a coolness so much that Elon bought Twitter for $44 billion. Oh my God. Well, I, look, that's, that's, that's a whole... That's, yeah, that's its that's own virtual its own, experience. That's its own virtual experience. Another because... huge development that's happened during our, our podcast hiatus. And now that, you know, Elon is, is essentially trying to own his own virtual world and you know he's now kind of had this wild public downfall wild to see that transformation not only of elon but also of twitter and you know maybe some say maybe he was always like that but well um, here's the thing you know many most things that are true repeat themselves and it's you know elon musk is known as the richest man in the world um that kind of pivots back and forth between him and a couple others but uh you know there was this guy named howard hughes now, I know this more from my generation than from your generation. It's, you may have seen a film about it, The Aviator, that uh, Martin Scorsese made with Leonardo DiCaprio. But he was actually a figure uh, in my childhood. And and this guy that we watched implode as the richest man in the world until he was locked up uh, you know, in a hotel suite, uh, not leaving to even... Uh, you know, relieve himself. Uh, he was relieving himself in jars and uh, grew a large beard. And, you know, all of these sort of like people that become so successful at the top end of the quote unquote billionaire ladder kind of have this implosion. This is something that seems to be part of human nature. Uh, and so, as much as the technology is shifting and changing and uh, enabling all these other things, human nature itself seems to still be in the same cycles it's been in for quite a while. And, I've heard the comparisons to Howard Hughes. Yeah. That's... You know, and, and so I felt like we've seen this, we've seen this movie before. Um, and yet what I think is important is, you know, cause we are calling this podcast, what the F is the metaverse, that the, th- the ideas behind the metaverse, whether we call it that going forward or not, for me, again, it's virtual experience. I've always said that I've been saying that for many years. Um, having been connected to, you know, help, helping to popularize the term virtual reality there uh, 30 years ago with one of the films I made. But, you know, this idea is not going to go away. This is something, this idea of creating a digital twin of the planet, creating an ability for people to connect and communicate digitally uh, through another kind of dimension, another kind of of, of you know digital world synthetic world that is not going away that is something that's going to continue to grow expand and change and yes there's going to be these hype cycles and we've just seen a huge example of that and it's happened even faster yeah. than the yeah. internet bubble i think we're in an acceleration of these kinds of cycles more than more than actually just it, you know, coming about and then going away. It's We're going to see it come and go, come and go, come and go in all kinds of different forms very rapidly because we now have a lot of things out there, and we've talked about this in some of our other podcasts, 
uh, about the fact there are many training wheels out there for this thing that's being called the metaverse. There's many, you know, so this the way social media has worked, the way in which someone like Elon Musk is working with uh, the shifting of this, you know, this town center called Well, the Twitter, Twitter news relates know? to the metaverse because yes. Elon wants to build the everything app, he said. Right, right. And, and so this is almost his play of starting to build his own digital world. And right now that just exists on phones, but you know, we'll have to see and we'll, and we'll track on this podcast going forward, you know, Elon's own kind of digital world that's, that's going on. One of the other things that Elon really uh, focused on was his, you know, sort of negative view of AI. Um, and that, you know, the, the idea that this is a very dangerous thing and, you know, we're moving in a, in a direction where we're going to be giving control of aspects of human life to this artificial intelligence or augmented intelligence. Well, recently there's been things that can be looked at both from a very positive and also a very negative way. Let's talk about Chat GPT. I mean, it's well, it's something... ironic because Elon actually helped found the company that created Chat GPT. Exactly. He created OpenAI. <laughs> OpenAI, exactly. And it was he was one of the people. There is other yeah. other founders, um, but yeah. So I mean, this yeah. Let's talk about AI. I mean, this is the new buzzword. We might as well rename our podcast. What the f is is generative AI? <laughs> because <laughs> right. this is the new cool thing that's happening in the tech world, and honestly, it is pretty cool. A true tipping point has just happened in this I, this Chat GPT technology. We we mentioned in our last podcast we mentioned generative AI and the possibilities for for generative art, and you may have seen this over the past year. You're now able to use OpenAI's tool called Dall E2 to type in anything, any kind of phrase or any kind of scene, and then the computer will generate that as an image. So there's yeah. other programs like Midjourney, uh, yep. Stable Diffusion, a number of them. They all have kind of a different feel and sensibility, but they all basically do the same thing, which is taking prompts, text-based prompts, and then generating them into imagery. You know, these AI essentially train on these very large data sets and, and look at data and then figure out how to essentially create that data on their own, but unique they're, they're able to create original artwork, original paragraphs of text. Um, and so this has been used for the past few years. It's been in development. These tools have been open to the public. People have been writing with these AI generative writing tools. And and I, I've, I've been using these tools and I've, I've used, you know, and, and specifically in the last few months, it's been amazing to see the different use cases and, and the it's kind of almost been a Cambrian explosion of generative AI tools. Like you mentioned Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, yeah. DALI, and I've tried all of these and, they're, and you're right, they all are a little bit different, but they have the core, this core idea of AI becoming a creative partner. Exactly. AI becoming a collaborator. And that's where, as you mentioned, chat GPT really is this next level pivot point, <laughs> inflection point, because yeah. it, it allows you to not only create prompts that are one way. So, you know, before in the past year, past few years, you've been able to create prompts and it would give you a result. Now with chat GPT, you can give it uh, the AI a prompt and then continue that conversation. And so that means that you can collaborate with the AI. You can you can say, oh, I liked this, but I didn't like that. And so people are using this for so many different use cases, uh, everything from coding websites where the AI is coding from to writing for books. For me, the tipping point is really big in this sense. Not only can you write things in collaboration with this AI, but the AI itself can code 
the chat GPT can actually create code that you don't fully understand as a human, but the machine effectuates for you. And that is to me, the tipping point that many people talk about when they say that moment when we're handing over a kind of control of a certain aspect of the human world to the machines, when the machines know what the code is and we don't, what's that mean? What's that, what's that create as potential uh, you know, apocalyptic visions and, and also potential utopian visions. I mean, there's, well, there's so many yeah. ways of looking. I mean, the, and that tipping point has just really been, now it's been going on. It's not really just one day has happened, but recently it's been reported that way, just literally over the past few weeks that you suddenly have this, this very powerful tool that can, that can create code for you that can create works of of literature for you and it actually works and i you know anyone that can go out and by the way everyone has access to it it's it's accessible over the internet and so it's something that allows you to tap into this idea of what you know you were talking about large data sets is it's called the large language model um the large language model allows it to look and see all the different relationships between language, between phrases, between idioms, between words, even at the syllable level, and then create things based upon that knowledge in microseconds. And that... Probabilistically. It's a, it's yeah. a probabilistic engine. So it, it's yes. creating new original data it, it, based yes. off of existing data. So it's, it's not... It's essentially what a human being does when a human being is looking at the world, taking in data and then using that data to create new artwork or writing or or build a chair exactly. um you know that that's <laughs> what the ai is doing essentially and and using that to create images and and writing um it, and yeah, it, it, it really is, is, it is a big thing yeah. i mean it's a it big is. thing it's a change in the nature i think of creativity um it, yeah. in the way because again i think it's important to see that ai is not something coming from outside of us that it's something that actually is something we're creating as humans. So it's something that is, for me, an extension or an augmentation. That's why I like to call it augmented intelligence, you know, from humans. But we have to be careful in how we create this tool, just like well, any yeah. other tool that we've created. We've created the tool of uh, the atom bomb. We've created the tool of nuclear energy. All of these things have tremendous positive effects, not the atom bomb, really. That's just a destructive effect, but... Uh, the nuclear, well, nuclear power, be, right? Nuclear power can be very positive, right, exactly, uh, extremely yeah. positive, or extremely negative, depending on how it's executed. So we are in that moment right now with AI more than ever before. And sort of all the things that were talked about in all these science fiction books that people like myself read when we were kids, you know, I read thousands of them, uh, and uh, all those ideas are now suddenly actually happening in the context of real AI technology, that's not only in some supercomputer somewhere and a you know in a, a mountain mountain fortress, but actually available to everyone, and that is really a revolutionary moment that we're in right yes, now. Yes, yes, and the progress is happening so quickly. It's, it, this tool is still in a very early development. They released it for free to the public just because it's in development still. Eventually, you're going to have to pay something for it, but only, yes. you know, it's actually going to be very affordable. There's obviously a lot of things that it does. It, it makes mistakes. It does things wrong. There's a lot of really good reporting on the things that it's doing wrong and the issues with generative AI. There's, you know, examples of people ripping off artists and, you know, the whole idea of what is the copyright, what is the, 
yeah, what's, legal what's implications of generative yeah, AI. Yeah, what's that, IP, that's going to be a big conversation. That's a conversation that's happening, and it's there's a lot of uh, controversial angles to that. I mean, there are people that are really lining up on different sides of that of that argument for sure. I've um, I've heard everything from you know we need to completely ban generative AI completely to we need yes. to have it introduce errors into the output so we can tell that it's it's uh you know an, an AI because this is the thing it's it's actually so good that people cannot tell the difference between a paragraph written by the AI and a paragraph written by a human. Yeah, uh, and, and, or, and, and know, yeah. what I've been studying myself, and I know you, you've been doing the same thing, that's very true. I mean, it looks, it, it can feel, especially if it's prompted correctly, and there's a whole, this is something we should talk about, there's a whole kind of new science, new art form to how you prompt AI, how you communicate yeah, with the AI. Prompt engineering, which is literally being created as we speak. Um, because you know how you can get greater, greater results, greater efficiency, and all that is something that we're just still learning about uh, with how to talk with this new sort of being that we've created, which really sounds like it's out of a science fiction story, you know. But it really is actually a science fiction story that we're living out in real time right now. And creators in the future are going to use generative AI to create new metaverses, you know, new yes. digital worlds. And, yes. you know, that's why Mark Zuckerberg is heavily invested in AI technology. They have entire in huge supercomputers dedicated to this. And they're actually, they demoed a, a test of a video, generative AI for, that, that actually can create video. Yes. Which means, which is, which is even hard to wrap your head around. That means that the video is, is completely generated. Every frame is generated by a computer and yeah. you can tell it to generate a dog. Now, some, now, right now, when it does that, the dog doesn't look it looks weird. It looks weird. <laughs> so exactly. there's a long yeah. way that this technology has to go. But I've actually, so I've been using uh, you know, ChatGPT since the day it was launched, uh, just over two weeks ago, and I, I have to say it has been the most wild two weeks, <laughs> probably in my creative career. I, I, I specifically want to speak to something where you know a lot of the reporting is is around: is this AI going to replace humans? Um, is this AI going to replace all creative work, all lawyers, all right, script right. writers, <laughs> all actors, all you know, uh, yes. artists, painters? Is the generative AI going to replace everyone? And you know, it's easy to. There's a lot of scary science fiction, and and there, you know, there's all this world, and you can imagine, and there and there's definitely certain things that will be generated by AI. Yeah. Um, in the future that will be generated completely by AI. But there's going to be a long, long time until we get to where that's actually compelling. And, and I actually have a, a, a suspicion that humans are, are, you know, personalities are still going to be involved even in that media as well. But until we yes. get there in the meantime, um, this generative AI is a creative accelerant. It, it's, right. it's, you know, it's right. this, this technology allows humans just to do more, create more. Yeah. And in the first weekend of having access to this technology, I wrote over 30,000 words of a TV show script. Right. And I've since produced those into six episodes of, of, of the show as like mm -hmm. a short, just TikTok, YouTube short. And right. it's wild to see how a script completely written by AI, I, I'm, I, I actually created a very detailed prompt that was over 15 steps long that transformed yes. ChatGPT into a script writing assistant. So it would say, hi, I'm Scripty. 
what's the theme of the script? And I'd be like, oh, I'd like the script to be witty and a comedy. And it'd be like, oh, great, teach me about comedy. And I, and I told it to ask me these questions. So then it went back and asked me all the questions and said, okay, I'm ready to write the script. And then it wrote the script. And I spent hours writing the script with ChatGPT, giving it suggestions. I said, actually, that's not very funny. You need to make that funnier. And it was like, oh, great, I'm gonna make that funnier for you. And it would do another revision. I would actually have to teach it how to be funny because yeah. you know sometimes it would be repeating itself or you know I say that's repetitive. So it was actually a lot of it, it, there's a lot of human work that goes into working with generative AI, especially yeah. in this early era. Um, and it's just a different type of work. And and it, what it ends up doing is is allowing you to create twice as much content or even, maybe even more. It, it's mm-hmm. it's a creative accelerant. Which, you know, obviously I'm not saying that's only a good thing. It's going to be, it's going to put a lot of pressure on creatives to create more content to compete in the marketplace. But from my experience using it, it's, it's been, it's, it's been, it's been sort of like a creative unlock for me. It's yeah, almost sure. like having a full-time writer at my disposal at any time well, and the, also a full-time graphic designer with Dali. Well, let me talk about it from something I actually lived through, which is, a yeah. different level of enablement, but it was just as radical, just as revolutionary when it was happening as this feels now. This is a different level because we're in a different era of technology, of course. But as a filmmaker, we used to use film. We used to actually have something called work print. We had to make a print of the movie physically that we would then cut with scissors and use tape to <laughs> actually create, to actually tape together the Real shots tape. in order to edit it. Okay, and wow. I did my first few feature films with the old technology. I'm glad I did because it was a, you know, it was something that was there as part of cinema history for a very long time. But yeah. while I was developing as a filmmaker, I even became part of this digital revolution of digital tools to manipulate imagery and digital editing came about. And I was actually consulting with some of the companies that were creating digital editing like Avid. Uh, and I was one of the first people uh, to utilize those tools. That was an absolute revolution. Everything you're saying reminds me exactly the things I would say at that point. To be able to have the ability to uh, you know, take shots digitally and mix them around and instantaneously felt like this tremendous new moment of creativity just like wow. what you're feeling now. And and it, it, it's hard to, again, give someone the context of that if they didn't live in that past where it was literally this physical thing of cutting, you know, celluloid with scissors. <laughs> it yeah. was something, something that became so much more rapid. It allowed you to put a scene together in, you know, 20, 30, 40 different permutations in the time it would usually take you to edit one permutation of that scene. So, and then there were many people that had the same thing, like, well, this has changed the nature of creativity in filmmaking, and you don't have as much time to consider it, and so it really is shifted, and then there, you know, uh, music videos came about that were more digitally edited, and people like Michael Bay were doing, you know, very, very rapid cut um, action scenes that felt a bit more chaotic and there's a lot of backlash against that and wow. oh this these t- these tools have created have been the downfall of cinema more than the evolution of cinema the same exact things we have been were arg- being argued about and talked about now we're in a moment where those tools are absolutely just par for the course there's there's nothing unique about them there's nothing everyone that coming into the world of media creation now 
utilizes those tools by rote. That's that's they would never even imagine going back and cutting something with a scissor, right? So it's become so much a part of the process that now we don't see it as something different from human creativity. We see it as something that's part of the creativity of the filmmaking process. And the funny is the word filmmaking goes back to that idea of actually cutting film. It's literally some film on celluloid, a film of chemicals that are, yeah. that is spread on celluloid. So there's, you know, there's nomenclature that even goes back to as a throwback. So we we're in this moment now where I think these tools are so radical, so so changing the way in which we think of human imagination, but all through human history, there's always been tools that have changed the nature of expression of the human imagination. And what happens is over a generation, and sometimes now faster, because we're in a very accelerated time, those things become the new foundation for how we think about it. And I think there's going to be a moment, not very far in the future, where people would never even think of, like, what, what you talk about, writing something yourself without an AI? That would yeah. be insane. And, and I know that sounds like really off-putting to like, you know, old school writers and people that would, you know, have come up in the craft of literature, etc. But I, that's the way tools work in the nature of human history. It always shifts and changes things. The truth is there was a tremendous shift when you were able to use a pen and write on paper. Then the printing press was a tremendous change and, and, and had all the same arguments around it. So yeah. every time there's a there's a moment like this, we have this, and I li myself lived through one in the creation of digital media tools like like uh, digital editing and nonlinear editing, all the things that are now used as on every single thing anyone would ever see. So. I just think it's important to give ourselves that understanding of the horizon factor here. This kind of use of AI is going to become just an extension of what we think of as human creativity and imagination. I love the, the setup there. I mean, thinking about the, the journey from film all the way here, I think something that's been interesting to see is the way that different people are reacting to it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think, I think <laughs> you can either be terrified or threatened, or you can be humbled and amazed, yeah. you know? And for me, it's been very humbling mm. because you can see that this is a computer that can actually produce creative, engaging content in a way that I thought only a human could. Truth is for me, I've, I've throughout my, my life and career, I've always embraced these new things as part of just sort of who I am. I, I, I've always been excited by them more than terrified. Uh, and I've always been part of, you know, sort of taking these new tools and pushing them as far as we can. I mean, I'm working with generative, uh, you know, imagery right now on a project called Dark Star. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, because I believe there always needs to be process experimentation with new tools because the new tools become then integrated as part of our humanity. And if we don't see them as part of our humanity, that's the dangerous uh, mind frame. That's the dangerous way of, of depicting it as something separate. Because when we don't integrate it into ourselves, then we actually create a separateness that can become a negative. And so I think that making you know the process be as positive as possible and pushing things forward in as positive a way as possible from the creative human imagination and creative mind of, of the group mind of humanity, that's the moment we're in in terms of what we decide to use these things for. And uh, that's a very, as a storyteller, that's a very amazing story to be one living and a part of and also one to tell.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when you mentioned the printing press, I thought yeah. that that's what this feels like, and and it sounds yeah. so. You know, it sounds overhyped, and I think a lot of people are, you know, feeling, oh, is this just the same thing? It's just crypto all over again. This is a, you know, the new Web three thing. But you no, know, there's there's huge no. difference. <laughs> yeah, this is different. Yeah, this it, is. it is it is different. But we'll we'll be interesting to see both technologies evolve together because you know, mm-hmm. you know, generative AI allows computers to think, and you know, blockchain and crypto allows digital ownership. And so I saw a tweet that was saying, you know, both of them together is going to allow computers to think on their own. Yes. And, I know. and you know, and so it'll be interesting to see that. I, yeah. And, and, and it's a really exciting as a creative who loves being, loves trying out new tools my whole life. This yeah. is then the ultimate tool to try out yeah. because it's, it's a tool that I can customize to do whatever I want. I can create, you know, again, that first prompt. And I haven't seen a lot of people doing long prompts. I see a lot of people doing shorter prompts going back and forth. But I encourage anyone out there to try, if you've used it and you weren't impressed, try creating a 15-step prompt where you go and and paste that into chat GPT, where you say, I want you to come up with an interesting recipe for me. You are now a recipe generator. Step one, uh, ask me what my preferences are. Step two, all the way through. And then, you know, and it'll do that. And, and that's when you can really, you're the, wow, if, if you start thinking about the possibilities. And, and again, this is early technology. This is the first iteration. They're improving it all the time. So now realizing what the, the power of this tool, I've every single creative production workflow that I've been doing now integrates this tool. And when it's gone down, because there's been millions of people now trying to use this is like, especially- So it crashes, it it crashes. Yeah, well, they've been had to take it down. They've actually been doing an amazing job keeping it up at all. I'm impressed, I have to say. But it's gotten a lot slower and some days it's been down. And on those days, I just, it's also humbling to realize I suddenly can't do any of those workflows. Those workflows now rely on ChatGPT to- analyze a news article, summarize that in the voice of a Gen Z millennial that I can mm-hmm. then recite uh, into a camera. And then that will generate generative AI photos that I can upload as a YouTube short within a few hours. You know, that whole workflow, which I used it, you had to hire a graphic designer, you had to hire a script writer or do it mm-hmm. yourself. That is now all enabled by generative AI. The, the, the test I did, the six episode TV script, looking back at the first six episodes, you can tell that it is using themes it's 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 sometimes repetitive sometimes struggling to make jokes that are funny but you can see that there's something there that everyone from disney to the next youtuber is going to be using you know to in their everyday life in their everyday work life you know to to create media it's everything you're saying feels so much like a Deja vu to me of like when, you know, nonlinear digital editing came about. Because I, mean, I would say, yeah. I would talk yeah. about it in the same way. It would be like, I couldn't imagine going back the other way of doing things. And it was being, you know, afforded by a technology. It's something that extended our ability technologically to do something much faster, much quicker. This now is going and extending aspects of our mind, aspects of our imagination, which is an even next level you know, of, of enablement here. And that's, that's an amazingly exciting thing. I, I am looking at, you know, creating as many process experiments as I can with how does this human machine collaboration evolve and how do we evolve it from an overall story that's more utopian than dystopian? 
I mean, that's another aspect that I think is really important yeah. for us to look at because there are things about this that could go the wrong direction. And there are going to be things that I think will go the wrong yeah. direction. And so we have to be aware of that and we have to be able to push back against that with things that are being moved in the right direction into, into things that are empowering people to create, empowering humanity to become better, empowering humanity to become more in balance with the natural world through the use of this very quote-unquote unnatural technology. Even though for me, I think the idea of it being unnatural is actually a misnomer. Again, art, it's not artificial, it's not unnatural, it's coming from us. Just like every tool that's ever happened with humanity has come from uh, the group mind, come from an experimentation with individuals and groups. And so there's a, a real tribal aspect to this that needs to be embraced in the process. So look, as we go forward with this, this, this podcast, we're going to be dealing with this as one of the core themes, I'm sure. It, because the metaverses mean something different to everyone. And, I know it, it's and, such a catch, and I actually think it's the perfect <laughs> it's the perfect title for the podcast because yeah, it, yep. whatever you know, not right now it's generative AI is the buzzword, but guess what? In two years, it's going to be the metaverse again, and it's going to be the exactly. generative the generative metaverse. You know exactly, so, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, we're, we'll, we'll be just exactly. kind of as a father and son who have followed this space and are interested in this our whole lives, just going to continue yeah. talking about it, reporting on it, and sharing our thoughts. And exactly, uh, and then that's along. why it's always going to be say, "What the f is it?" Because we're never going to answer that question. It's always going to be shifting and changing. Exactly. Uh, And uh, that's why, you know, the irony of the title will get more ironic and less ironic depending on the era we're talking about it in. And these eras come and go every few months now. (laughs) So it's a real real time of real acceleration. Well, listen, thank you for joining us uh, for this relaunch of uh, What the F is the Metaverse. As I love to say at the end of each of these, Shannon, love you, son. And uh, I look forward to creating more of these with you. I love you, Dad. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Greg Leonard for producing the theme music for What the F is the Metaverse.